He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Delray Beach, Florida, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And welcome, Bruno DiGiulio here with the Racing with Bruno with the Works podcast. And I'm going to bring in my Las Vegas compadre, Ron Flatter. So, Ron, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your weekend uh, for Pegasus. Well, my weekend for Pegasus was uh, a little hit and miss and more miss than hit because I tried to bet against the chalk. I included it in the big race, did not in the turf. Shame on me. And other than that, my weekend was actually highlighted the following day by a Bruno with the works pick in the feature that went off at 10 to 1 as an overlay at Santa Anita. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Made up for all the grousing I might have been doing after the Pegasus and that I was doing during my football bets. Uh, how did that Packers versus Bills Super Bowl look, Ron? Yeah, looking real good right now. But fortunately, a 10 to 1 shot coming through on Sunday to make up for what happened on Saturday. But uh, yeah, and, and look, the Pegasus... Good jumping off point for a discussion tonight, right? Oh, it is. It is. And uh, before we get to our big discussion we had uh, uh, about Nick's go and comparing him to uh, the social media hype uh, oh, or, yeah. or, you know, of maximum security, um, it's, it, I, I think uh, with our live audience, I think it was a really interesting f- way of looking at things and trying to clear out the noise, noise. Speaking of clearing yeah. out the noise. How about Tom Brady? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, just amazing. He is, uh, you know, 43 years old and he goes to a new team. His old team never doesn't make the playoffs and his new team makes the playoffs and he's going for the Super Bowl again to play in front of the home crowd, it, which is pretty amazing in itself. It would is. Would you bet against Tom Brady? Yes, and I'll tell you, but I don't know that I would bet against the Tampa Bay defense, which really won that game because Brady threw three second-half interceptions. Let's not forget that. Talk about noise. A lot of noise hyping up Tom Brady. Greatest of all time. Yes, he is. Greatest in that game the other day. Not necessarily. Might have been the well, second best quarterback. Well, 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 let me say this. Was it one off the hands of two or off the hands of receivers? Okay, so then you got two interceptions in the second half. Well, I'm saying two of them were off the hands. I, you know, I, I think a lot of the times, you know, we, we just look at the, the box score, box scores, just like we do in racing. And, and we just look at the box scores, and we don't understand what that was all about. One of, I mean, Mike Evans should have come up with one of those picks. The other one, he was under duress, and he, he threw a bad interception, which I think is the first one. But I think the other two were merely, you know, uh, products of the receiver dropping the ball, wasn't it? Well, let's put it this way. Brady did not have his best game. The Tampa Bay defense came to play. Vita Vea being back in that lineup was no small factor, and they had their ears pinned back and may have played the best game of their season at a time when it was needed. And that's well, the, about, that's well, the unit about, I would not it, go against because you talk well, about noise, well, well, a lot of noise about Brady, not a peep about the Tampa Bay defense. Well, let me ask you another point. Um, could the Packers have had anything to do with that? Oh, I well. don't think they played well at all. When you allow a touchdown in the last nine seconds of the, of, 
of the first well, day. Well, that was that terrible. Them. That was terrible. Yes. That was, you, you should be playing prevent defense at that point. And also, let's go to fourth and goal from the eight and taking the ball out of Rodgers' hands. I mean, really. Now, I, I will say one thing. That young gun over at Kansas City, you know, he, uh, he is he's yeah. every yeah he's every bit of that uh, of that triple crown contender, so to speak, that we look for. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah, um, and, Isn't that the truth? Um, and he just um, he just really does. A, he, he's unbelievable. He had a bad toe. He had you know he had had a concussion uh, the night the, the week before, and he comes back and does what he does. And um, I was amazed at that. You know, and we're talking a lot about football here, but I was amazed that a lot of people were giving Josh Allen the 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 the, uh, the edge, you know, in in the quarterback matchup against Mahomes, and uh, I think Josh Allen showed that he still has a little bit of ways to go as far as maturity that Mahomes has right now. He still led the league in most risky pass attempts, where he was able to thread needles with coverage. Do you want to say he got lucky during the course of the year? I don't know that you go that far, but was he throwing high-risk passes that he went away against a Kansas City defense? You better believe it. Well, you know, in risky business, Tom Cruise did say, did say sometimes you just got to say what the... You, you do, know. especially with all that noise, right, Bruno? <laughs> especially with all the noise. I love yeah. noise. Noise yes. was the theme of the yes. Zoom call on Tuesday night. That's right. That's right. I really enjoyed it. And... um Let's share. Let's share with our with our listeners a little bit of that Zoom. I want to talk a little bit about um, what happened this weekend and sort of sort some of the thoughts that that yeah. One thing I made a comment on uh, was um, how Nick's go to me is another maximum security on social media. But before we start that, Ron, what do you have for us? Got a few things news-wise uh, developing later in the day today. Essential quality. Brad Cox has said that he will come back in the Southwest Stakes. So he's got horses that are already aimed that same weekend uh, for the Risen Stars. So he'll go Southwest. Fewer points available there. But remember, Essential Quality already has 30, including the 20 that he got for winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He doesn't get any for winning on Thursday night when he gets the two-year-old male of the year. But, okay, so he's got enough points really to build on. Doesn't need to chase points as much as he just needs to stay in race shape. So he'll come back uh, for his three-year-old debut in the Southwest Stakes. First thing. So, anyway, thoughts there, Bruno? Um, you know, he's been training right along over at Fairgrounds. And um, uh, he's the kind of horse, having seen him – all the way up through the Breeders' Cup. He's not a hard horse on himself because he's kind of laid back. He's not one of those regular tappets that will run off and, and, and do those odd, uh, have those odd behaviors that we've seen. Uh, in fact, he's quite playful. And um, I saw him with the pony uh, the day before, the, uh, about two days before the Breeders' Cup, right after he had worked his final work. And I just watched him go around and he was so well-mannered and, you know, you could tell, you could tell he wanted to go have some fun, you know, and, and he just uh, really um, showed a good mental side to him. So he'll be very interesting to see what he does as a three-year-old um, because those tappets, you can surely uh, kind of bend their minds and they don't last very long mentally. 
And, and that's the one problem. I equate Tappets. I had a Tappet that I bought for 100000 when back when Tappet was a $25,000 stud, <laughs> 2010. And I bought him for over 100. He was one of the uh, highest uh, Tappets bought at auction at the time. And I loved him. But if I knew now, I knew then what I know now, I would have probably, along with my trainer, we would have handled him a lot different. Um, and, and I think a lot of guys now have a line on what to do with these tappets. And one of the things is, is not letting them get comfortable in the, into a comfort zone. When you get them into a comfort zone, and I, I'll give you a great example with my own, um, with, my own with Joe. He's very, not quirky, but he's very opinionated and, and, and strong-minded. So what I have to do is with him is, first of all, he's been too quiet in the last 10 minutes, and I'm starting to get worried. And two, um, you, you know, for example, when I go walk him, he's learned his, 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 he's learned his routine. So every once in a while, I throw him a curveball because I don't, for example – as you would with a tappet, when you come out of the elevators, I'm supposed to take a right. And what he does, he grabs, he takes a lot of hold on me. And he's a strong boy. He's a, he's a husky. He's learning. He's supposed to know how to pull. And he pulls me super hard out of the out of, out of the elevator. Now, when that happens, you know, you could have somebody waiting on the other side. Or in our situation, there was some dogs that were in the elevator. And as soon as the elevator door opened, Joe would sprint in the elevator and what I and what happened was these dogs came out and one was a pit bull and went right after him. Luckily, I had a good hold and I was able to pull them back. That's an example with tappets. You've got to give them something different because once they they're, they're very intelligent, once they learn something, then they they just take advantage of you because they know what they have. Well, they know what you're doing with them. So to me, it's one of those situations that with essential quality that I want to see what he does after his comeback race. And, and then after that, you really start looking into the mentality part of it and they can handle whether they can handle. Now um, on Friday, Brad Cox uh, ran uh, one to Smarty Jones with cattle river, who was incredibly impressive on, um, on Saturday, we had a Brendan Walsh, a uh, very impressive maiden winner named Perseverance. Uh, and Preval Prevalence. Prevalence, sorry. Um, and he's, I do a lot of stuff without notes, guys, so I apologize. Um, I, I just have always done it right off the cuff and kind of give you exactly what I'm thinking at the moment. Um, but Prevalence was very impressive in the morning. He had a fantastic gate work. But a lot of the times with a guy like Brendan Walsh, you're not sure – you're not sure whether he's going to go fire with that horse. Now, he did have another go dolphin horse that was just okay, named Maxfield. Um, and so he fought with him first time out. Uh, and I'm being facetious. Uh, Maxfield's a very nice horse. However, Maxfield also has his issues. He's not been able to put back-to-back -back races together. And that's very important. Um, so, therefore, uh, when, you're, when, when you're trying to figure out who's going to win first time out, Sometimes a guy like Brandon Walsh is very hard to, to, to pin down because of that. And um, in this case, this was a race on Saturday. It was loaded. You had to have to justify. 
in um, in uh, Stage Raider. Uh, and, and Ron, if I'm not mistaken, there was quite the reaction on Stage Raider with some of the books. Uh, Stage Raider, yeah. There was actually all, some of the horses, all the horses you named had uh, some sort of action that uh, was noteworthy. And just to go over some of that, Stage Raider, you just mentioned, uh, he opened at uh, 100 to 1 at Circa and 85 to 1 at William Hill. Uh, going back to some of the other ones that you mentioned, prevalence uh, 20 to 1 uh, already at Circa and 25 to 1 at William Hill. And uh, you go to Caddo River, and there was a lot of action on him when you look at 16 to 1 at Circa, 15 to 1 at William Hill, and closed to 13 to 1 in the Paramutual Future Wager the Churchill Downs conducted with the second pool, first time that that has been conducted in January. So then as we look at the favorites now, you can get life as good uh, at no better than uh, plus 815. So basically 8 to 1 at Circa, 8 uh, to 1 at William Hill. He closed at 7 to 1 in the Kentucky Derby Future Wager. Interestingly, because it's the old thing, uh, what have you done for me lately, since we haven't seen essential quality since November in terms of the afternoon, He's drifted to 12 to 1 right now at Circa. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't touch any horse at 12 to 1 right now this far out from the Derby. But if you are playing and, and you do go after prices like that, 12 to 1 looks like a price that you would look at at Circa. He's the 7 to 1 favorite at William Hill. So those are some of the horses that we've seen uh, getting some steam here uh, in Las Vegas in terms of openers and, and first-time starters. But Bruno, yeah, you're right. There's There has been a fair amount of action and maybe more so than normal on January futures than we've seen in a few years. And by the way, that noise you heard, that, yes, you sir. Said, that was me kicking the dog bowl and spraying food all over the place. Well then, well, then Joe needs to mute his bowl. Well, I, I had to go figure out what he was doing. He's too quiet. He's chewing on a, on a tennis ball right now. So, you know, he destroys his toys. Um, there you go. But uh, the one thing I will say, life is good is way underlaid on, on the what we showed you guys last time. I'm sorry. I can't take him going long. And what I know about the dam and what she was. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take my chances against him. And that's why. Speaking of that, Bruno, let me offer you this. Circus Sports yesterday uh, posted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven horses, the seven shortest priced horses in its futures. It's now offering a yes, no option. So that you can bet these horses, not just to lose, but to not win. And that's an important phrasing because where you bet on a horse right now in the futures you're stuck with that ticket, whether that horse gets to the gate or not. That ticket is action. Well, that's a disadvantage to you if you're betting on the horse to win. It's an advantage if you're betting on the horse not to win. But the price is... Let me ask you that. Let me ask you. Does a horse have to race? No. So you Once can you... no, and if he doesn't make it, you got a chance. But do you get different odds on that? Oh, boy, do you ever. For instance, with Life is Good, you lay $1,425 to win 100 And you say to yourself, well, why would you do well, wait, that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. To not run? To not, not win, win the Kentucky Derby. How, when, under whatever circumstance. Not run, not start, not win. And, and all bets are action on this up until the time they draw. Uh, and, and then it's a whole new pool. But you bet 1425 to win 100 And you're saying, okay, well, that you could bridge jump that. 
Circus Sports allows you to parlay that into other sports, so you can lay that I'm off. Let me say this: this is not sponsored by Circus Sports by anyone. By any, no, 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 no. But they're the right. only ones who put this up. Right. And right. And then, and where this worked last year, and this is a perfect example. This is where it can work for you. Tis the law. When tis the law was so short priced. Uh, remember when they put up their odds at Circa, they, he hadn't run the Belmont yet. And I think he was like five to one to win the Derby. So let's say you bet that. Okay. So now you come into the Derby and tis the law is the odds on favorite because he was the odds on favorite on race day to win the Derby. You could then wheel back and you could have gotten tis the law at six to five to lose the Derby. So you could build in a profit. You would have a guaranteed profit. So that's why it pays to watch these no prices as well, especially if you want to lay off on your bets as we go forward here. But there's going to be a certain amount of bridge jumping that could come along here. But it's most popular when you're parlaying it into other sports. And Ron, the only way you can bet these if you're in Las Vegas, right? Uh, yes, and you have to at least have set foot here at one point to register an account. Once you do, you can actually hire a proxy will get like a small percentage of your winnings or what have you, and they can make that bet for you. Is you sign legal? up with your proxy. It's totally legal. Oh, it's totally legal. No, there are licensed proxies in Nevada who right. do just this. It's hugely popular for NFL, uh, uh, for the contests like the the Westgate Super Contest and the Circuit Contest and the, uh, and the One at Station Casinos and the Golden Nugget. There are proxies. There are professional proxies who will make those bets for you if you've registered here and then you leave the state, they will represent you as long as they are licensed. But that's no, that's actually a growing business here because so many people want to take advantage to of this. Hey, how about, hey, how about a great road trip, guys? Let's <laughs> do a road trip. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd love to go David's to Vegas. Over here, <laughs> David's over here shaking his head like, hell no. Yeah, and I can recommend some proxies, by the way. Yeah, this year is going to be the first year in over 30 years that me and my buddies will not be in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah, wow. Well, the one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, and I've got a couple of things I want to go over with you. Um, first of all, this weekend, when Nick Sko, uh won the nine furlong Pegasus World Cup, um, to me, and, and we talked about it when we did our Zoom, he was going to be no surprise. You know, he, he was the talented horse. What surprises me is the attacks on the horse that you get on social media. He's become like so, uh, maximum security. And, and, and the interesting part is how do you cut at, as a handicapper? If you look on social media, I have very much a – I'm, I'm one of those people that makes up my mind. I have my own mind. I have my own decisions. I don't allow people to change my mind. Um, but I also want to handicap people. Uh, so, for example, if I, I see a post and, and, and the guy I've seen in the past and he's absolutely wrong 99% of the time, I'm just not even going to look at that. I'm just going to laugh it off and go, okay, the opposite's going to happen. How many people you know do that? When you see what they write, you know the opposite's going to happen. So, um, yeah, um, so – for me is I like to figure out, you know, sometimes I like to read it and sometimes I like to, it's kind of entertainment to me, but I do find that that some of it is really counterproductive and it's really idiotic, especially the, 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 the talk about the bias at Keeneland. I love that. Oh, there was a bias at Keeneland. 
What bias at Keeneland? The track was fast. It was fast horses going over it. The track had fast times, but that doesn't mean there's a bias. And it doesn't usually when a track's that fast, you know, the fast horses show who they are, period. And I just, I just found that I, I came up and said, these bias conspiracy theorists to me are very much in their own handicapping reality because they're not looking at the same past performances the way you do, the way we've looked at things. They look at things very simple. If a horse shows one in front of him, he's got to be speed. If he's, a horse can't be on front, he's a closer. They only see things two ways. And if they see two, three horses win on a day, especially the first two races, and they go six to five each and they win on the lead, there's a speed bias. And to me, that's just ridiculous. It's bad handicapping, and that's what the problem is. A lot of these people are bad handicappers. They cannot look at a race and have a, 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 a genuine, objective opinion other than what their tickets they have in their hand. And, I have a question and, for you. I'm sorry? I have a question. Yeah. I think in the first four races of the Breeders' Cup this year, there was track records in every race. But stop looking at that. The, the, don't don't look just... at that. you you got to remember one thing. The first thing at a mile, right, at a mile at Keeneland, they only run like four or five races a year. Okay? You have, you know, you that doesn't mean anything. All it tells you I'm, is I'm that the race was... The bias. I'm just saying, like... This was interesting. That's all I'm but, saying. But, but, but again, again, David, just because they set a track record does not mean that there's a bias. All it means is that the horses are really getting a hold of the track and flying around there. That's all I'm saying. When Gamine sets a record, Gamine is a fast horse. You know, when Nashville, Nashville didn't set a track record. Right. You know? He was the most valued and much uh, over and uh, uh, he was, uh, how do I say, overrated horse that I've seen in a long time. And again, it doesn't mean there was a bias. I've seen tracks where they were lightning fast and they were fair. So you, when, when and here's my whole mentality about this, David. You, when you start thinking in that particular manner, you stop looking at other things. You absolutely, oh, the track was fast. It's had track records. If that's all you see, that's all you're going to, you all, it's all what you're going to understand. I don't think I was thinking about it in terms of speed. I'm just like, look at this shit. But so, so we're worrying me. about it. We're worrying about it because you got another member of something else too. The Keeneland product is really, really regressed over the last two, three years. It's going to become more cheap horses. There's very few really good horses on the dirt anymore. They don't really run a major, older, handicapped division type races. So what happens is if you get on a regular week at Keeneland, you get 20 dirt races. I'm just throwing something out. And 11 of them are cheap, are cheap maiden claimers maidens and 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 maiden claimers then all of a sudden when you bring the really good horses out they're going to look like they're 10 times faster than that than, than that track was when in reality you've never really had that kind of stock over running over that track so i i just you know when nicks go won during the meet and he won at a mile and a 16th and 40 and change 
I remember watching him train into that race, and I texted Brad Cox, and I said, that gray is a monster right now. And he said, yeah, he's just unbelievable. He is really taking his training and taking it a step further. And he has because Brad let him run in the morning. He lets him do what he wants to do. I, I, equate, I gave Nick's go a compliment by saying he is very much like a horse like Ruhlman. And maybe you guys don't remember Ruhlman. I remember like it was yesterday. He was a Bobby Frankel two-year-old that came from France by Mr. Leader. He debuted first time out on the, uh, on the, uh, on the turf in France and ran, didn't run any good. He bled. So Bobby Frankel got him, brought him over here. I believe he ran for Edmund Gann. Uh, if you can check that for me, Ron. Um, and it was 1993, I want to say. No, 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 no. It was 18, 1986. 1986. Give me the name of the horse again, Bruno. Ruhlman. Ruhlman. R-U-H-L-M-A-N-N. And he won at a mile at Hollywood. I was there. He went 134 and three at a mile at Hollywood Park. It was a phenomenal performance. Like, who's this? And he ended up winning it right. He won the El Camino Real. But then during the three-year-old season, he kept bleeding. He ran him in the Florida Derby. It was a mistake. He brought him back in the Santa Anita Derby against winning colors. It was a mistake. Horse wasn't right. He goes over to Charlie Whittingham. And he, if I'm right, right after that, he went to Whittingham. And he was a terror. He won the Santa Anita Handicap, beating Bayacoa and in one of those full fields of really good horses. And uh, But he was very much where Charlie let him be who he wanted to be. He wanted to roll, and that's what you let him do. You roll. You don't sit on him. You don't grab him. You don't do anything. You just let him do what he does. And that's what I think Brad has done on Nick's go. I think he's letting him do that. And he, the horses responded. He was another one that looked phenomenal with great weight and coat. Yes, Ron. Yeah, two things. I don't have specifics. I can tell you. I mean, I can certainly confirm Winningham at the end. Don't have specifics. Equibase doesn't break out charts that far back. But everything you said about which races, uh, I can corroborate all that. And the other thing on all the track records that had happened at Keeneland during the Breeders' Cup, note this. Track records, as you said, don't necessarily mean speed favoring. Of the seven dirt races at the Breeders' Cup, Four, or pardon me, three were one from off the pace. One was a chaser and three others were speed horses. That sounds like a pretty fair track to me. It was a fair track. And I think what people see and they equate time to bias. And, and that is one of the major problems you have in this industry. Um, there's nobody that can actually go out there and set people, you know, and, and do it it's straight. The, you've got, I was listening the other day on, on, you know, and I try not to do it. I was, uh, I, you know, uh, the, the racing channel and they were complaining. And one of their handicappers was complaining that the fields were too full and they were, they were too tough on, on, you know, on Pegasus day. And I, I it just shook my head. Like, why would you say that? There's things that are done and said every day on those channels that really structure and, and, and develop novice horse players into the wrong information. They're constantly pushing out wrong information, wrong, you know, uh, I, just wrong ideas 
that are just completely backwards than what you really think, especially about horses, um, especially about horses and what they're supposed to look like and the, and the way they move and the way they act and the way they train. And, and it, it just, it makes it really no fun for me to listen because I end up giving myself uh, Ashido, you know, just thinking about it. But instead I just mute them and I just watch the regular feed and, and, Sometimes the quiet part, is, David, the quiet part where you don't hear that garbage and it doesn't pollute your brain to where it makes it easier for you to make decisions. You know, Breeders' Cup Day, when I, when I, I had a monster, monster day on Friday, I had them on mute. I didn't want to listen to it. It's not, you know, they have every right to say what they want to say. They have every right to believe what they want to believe. I just don't have to listen to it. I thought that the, that the coverage on NBC, I wasn't able to get a TVG or anything like that on Saturday, but I thought the coverage on NBC was horrible, horrible. Well, it, it, it's just, maybe, David, maybe the best thing is, is for you guys to just mute it, you know, and just be alone in your thoughts and, and, and taking a look at what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in transit at the time. I was in South Carolina on the road, and I was just able to catch it. That's all. But so you had, well, you, well, you, you. That's what you only. The only. The only thing you had. That. That's fine. But yeah. just don't let it pollute your brain. Because see, what they did is going on and on and on about how fast that track was at Keeneland or Breeders' Cup got in your brain and makes you think, and it makes you. It, it pulls you in a. It pulls yeah. you away from from your central focus of saying. Who do I think is going to win the race without hearing all that other garbage that's in there? You know, and we can take that in every aspect of this, of our society today. There's too much noise, yep. you know, and there's, there's too much. I had a, a former client that was taking me the task that on these zooms, and even on the, uh, when we did the Zooms for the Breeders' Cup and stuff like that, that I wasn't having more handicappers to talk about uh, who they liked. He wanted a number of them. To me, that's noise. You know, and also I tried to explain it to him. It's like, why would I have other people and promote them when <laughs> they don't do, when they don't reciprocate? Which yeah, is Andy Harrington on line one, Bruno. <laughs> Huh? You what? Andy Harrington on line one. <laughs> Andy, I like. I'm never a problem. You're talking about Andy Sterling, you know. But I don't want to promote other people if they don't reciprocate. You know, guys like Derek Lawson that was on with us the other day. He's been a dear friend of mine. He's a good guy. He didn't. He loved it. I mean, he he tried to figure out every which way to come on and talk to you guys. I appreciate people like that. I'll go out of my way for a person like that. That was fantastic. You know, like Ron, look, Ron and I are friends. We work together, you know, but, you know, if Ron would call me up and we're not working together and needed something, I'd I'd go out of my way to do it for him. I know some of you guys, you know, you guys text me. I always text you back. You know, I always find a way to, to, to reach out to you and speak to you because I'm one of you, you know, but when I'm promoting my business, and, and I'm promoting what we're doing and I'm talking to you. I don't need a third person in trying to talk to you. And then, you know, but they won't reciprocate with me and other places. So it really, that becomes to that. So I'm going to work on, I'm trying to get more people out here to give you different ideas, but I want you to really focus on getting out of the noise. 
And NixGo is a great example. Maximum security was another great example. The biggest thing is just keeping away from the noise. And those sources collect noise. When you have a collection of noise, it keeps away from you doing your handicap and doing things the right way, you know? Um, so going into that, going into the Pegasus World Cup, we discussed, I thought NixGo was the best horse in the field. Now, he was going to be too short of a price, which we were right, you know, but there was horses in there that I didn't like at all. We didn't like Independence Hall. We didn't like a lot of horses. And, you know, we weren't sure on, you know, I was very disappointed in Code of Honor. I picked Code of Honor because I thought he'd get a great trip. He was too far back. He got lost early and never made, but, but the key to that, I tweeted something out right before the race. I said, he's losing his mind. He's getting hot and he wasn't hot yesterday. And he was looked gorgeous yesterday when he galloped. And today he's getting hot going to the gate. You will see that a lot at Gulfstream going to the gate. They get hot in the shoulder area. They're wet and they just lose it going towards the gate. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the atmosphere. I don't know if it was the, uh, the number of people there, uh, but I've also seen it when they were locked down and there was nobody there. Horses did the same thing. But mentally, he started to fall apart. So now I'm looking at going, okay, what am I going to do here? You know, and I, I backed off. I learned another thing. Jesus's team is an absolutely horrible workhorse, and I'll never get fooled by him again. I saw it once now. He got me. He trained like crap. He, won, he ran big second. Now he won't fool me again. I won't, his works are not going to matter to me because I know what he is. So understanding these horses, sometimes having to seen them once they do something to you once you pick that up, that's taking that noise out of there, you know? So, um, but David, that was a great question. That was a good point. That's a good question. Fair question. And, you know, I, I just really believe that if you going to take your game to another level, you've got to learn how to be able to separate the noise. Yeah. I, I, I tell you, a guy here that, that's pretty good at doing that is George West over here. He, he takes, you know, he just does his thing. You, you know, I don't know if he's deaf or he just doesn't want to hear it, you know, but, uh, um, you know, and I'm kidding because I know he hears us very well, but you drown out a lot of information, don't you? I do. Uh, I use people like you as a tool, but not a finality, not a decision maker. If, if we come to terms in regards to a, a likable horse that we both like, then I that merely reinforces my commitment and maybe I'll make a bigger bet or a, a stronger bet. The I should have listened a little more to you in regard, because I singled a horse at tax in the last, he was my, and I was alive to a nice ticket and the pick five at, but and single was my tax tax was my single and you just uh, didn't run an inch well you know it, it's interesting because if you made a the, the one thing i do want to stress to you guys i don't want to be the finality i want to be the, the, the i want to be that 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 toolkit that you go into and you pull some and pull something out that we, the one thing I said about tax, you guys remember what I said? I do. He's never won two races in a row. Never won back to back. Right. That to me stands out. And I just go, Whoa. Okay. There's a reason that happens. 
There is a reason. You know, well, I, I was a little bit enthralled with the trainer changes, what, what kind of swayed me, to be quite honest. With Danny Gargan having such a good uh, win with him. and then He's had him the whole time, though. No, he didn't. Yeah, he has. No, he didn't. Mott had him. No. Tax? No. I think Gargan's well. had him all along. <laughs> Remember what I said about you listening? <laughs> no, Mott's not had him. Gargan's had him. You were thinking of Tacitus. He beat Tacitus who had Mott had him. Is that what it was? Yeah, I bet you that is. <laughs> you know what? You stuck by your guns, though. I, you, I can't, I'm not going to knock you for that. You know, I'm not going to, you know, we're not, you know, we're not going to say anything about that. We all done that before. However, you are very good at taking that noise out because I, but my job is to look at you guys and say, tax hasn't won back to back ever in his career. How many of you thought about that when you're handicapped later on or you saw him? Mike did. I never liked them. Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's all about it's it's just those little things and, and david i don't mean to come back to you you know but but this that's exactly the little things you should you should be thinking yep no doubt you know and 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 look i've been wrong before i'll be wrong again i'll give you the the dandy buyer line been embarrassed one too many times it doesn't matter anymore but you know you know but also you want to, if you've been embarrassed one too many times, it doesn't matter anymore. That's good because <laughs> you're not allowing it to get to you. You cannot let that get to you. I'm, I am very, very good at mentally trying to uh, figure out what is going on. I do the same thing every day when I handicap. I have the same routine, the same things. What may not work for me yesterday is going to work for me today. And we've got a lot of good players around here. Steve Turlak's a good player. Bob Kastenau's a good player. You know, Kevin, Kevin over here is a good player. Um, you got Jeff Hogg who's playing for a long time. You got Big Mike over here who's played a long time. We don't have Dave with us tonight. Dave Koss, he's not here tonight. But all of you guys are good players. But what you have to realize is that what may not work for you yesterday is not, is, may work for you today. So... As long as you are sound in your thinking and you get away from the noise, going back to Nick's go, he's like maximum security. People, I remember sitting up in the, on, on Derby 2019, in 2019, sitting with Peter Rotondo, Lee Davis, Peter Rotondo Jr., um, and a number of other people. We're all sitting around the mansion on two days before the Derby. And they were just against maximum security. And I said, why? Well, because he ran for 16. So I took his form and I took my Sharpie and I ran a line right past his 16,000 maiden claiming win. I said, how's he look now? He looks great. Because he couldn't see the, the, the 16. Uh, you know, now he did win and, and, and he got taken down. But the whole point was is sometimes, I, I'll give you another great example. I had a filly that had an um, injury as a, as a baby, and she had, had a trauma to her tendon sheet. Not her tendon itself, 
not her tendon itself, but the tendon sheet on the outside. So it'd be like the hematoma was between the tendon and the skin. And it never went away. And Peter Miller had it. And she trained fine. Not a problem. And he would call me. You know, I really hate that look. I, I, I can't look at that boat tendon, you know. I said, why don't you scan it then? Yeah, ultrasound. The ultrasound, he goes, there's no tear, there's no hole, there's nothing. But I still hate looking at it. I said, then put fucking wraps on her so you don't have to look at her. You know? I mean, it's that simple. Just put the damn, you know, wraps on her. And he did. You know? And, and she trained well, and, you know, she ended up being just fair. But, but the problem was, is he was allowing his, his eyes, he could, it's, it's like, you ever gone out, you know, with a friend who's got like a, a, a big face mark on him? You end up staring at that all the time, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like Drew Brees. You're always looking over at his little thing on the side of his face, like, what the hell is that, you know? But the thing is, you know, it, it, I'm being it's just being a little silly now. But 580 but, TDs. Yeah, right. But my, I love Drew. Come on, I was in, I was, I was a San Diego Charger a ticket holder, season ticket holder when he was when he was quarterback down there. I loved him. But my point is, is that when sometimes when you focus on something that's irrelevant, that's it takes you away from the game, and and that's the thing with horses too, and. And, and I think this just, you know, in, in the case of, of maximum security, in the case of Nixco, you know, guys have made up their minds and you can exploit that because they're never going to play it. They're going to pollute everybody's brains and you're sitting there on the horse that's going to win and you end up looking like the, the champ. Hopefully you would get better odds. But however, that's the way it goes. Another part of it, too, is when guys start telling you about statistics. Well, this horse, this guy wins at 8%. This guy wins at 7%. This guy, you know, um, wins at uh, 2%. Or, And the other day, there was a um, Ken Sweezy, first-time starter. And I had gotten a tip on the horse that one of my guys that handles my horses is, um, you know, owned the horse, and he said it's a real deal. Well, you look at Ken Sweezy, he's 1%. 1% with 70 starters first time out. 1%. I'm looking at that, and I'm like, okay, I can get away with 5 6 7 8%. I can do that. But if you're winning at 1% with your first-time starters out of 70 starts, that's – there's a reason and a rhyme for it. The horse ran huge. He still got beat. So how good is that horse? So it's just something about the trainer. He's not a bad trainer. I love Kent. Kent's a good trainer. I've got a horse with him. However, however, um, Kent Sweezy doesn't doesn't beat up his, his horses. He's more like an old throwback. He likes to give them enough to get them ready and give them that one race, and then they'll improve from there. And that horse will end up being a good horse. Um, and I try to remember the name. He ran, I think, uh, either Friday or Thursday. He was the one horse, wasn't he? No, I think he was the two or the four. It's Kent Sweezy, first time starter. Um, Fat man on Saturday? No, no. It was earlier in the week. 
when you when when you're doing that, you know, there's certain things that you, that do get your attention. And there was a reason in rhyme why that Kent is one for seven. One, you know, in seventy starts, he's one percent. You know, um, I've never seen that before. But if that horse turns out to be good, that first race really did him a lot of good. And that's what a lot of another, another thing that comes down to it. When you're looking at first time starters, if they don't win first time out, that doesn't mean they're no good. Was Corey uh, Lonnery on that horse? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Swing low. Yes, that's it. Swing low. So. Um, By upstart. Right, right. One of my friends bred him and owns him, and he told me, he goes, don't, you know, and I looked at it, and I went, that's 1%. Come on, Daniel. I mean, oh, he's ready. Well, he wasn't. Um, It doesn't mean they're no good. Just for that race, you just are playing against because you're going against, you're going with with the common sense that, that you have. Now, on the other hand, I've had horses that I've liked first time out from trainers that are five to 8%, but the way they were training the horse was much different. Putting them in front, behind, in between horses, doing everything that they weren't doing with the other horses. And, 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 that, and there's a different outcome. So again, you know, you're trying to remove all the noise and trying to just see what the reality is that's happening. So my whole point about Nick's go and maximum security is the level of noise that can get into your brain and, 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 and affect your decisions when you go to the window. What I wanted to talk to you about, I've been running, I, as you know, I've got my daughters working, you know, like little banshees on information, uh, on, on running, um, a lot of stats on, on some of our stuff that we do. You know, for example, I wanted to correlate. You know, I've told you a couple of weeks ago that we do very, very well, very, very well. Sounded like Elmer Fudd there for a minute with our first and second picks. Uh, like, for example, at Aqueduct, our first and second picks wins 44% of the time um, with a 35% exact as um, on the card. Um, interesting, Charlestown that we run through the algorithm. It's 42% first or second. Uh, Delta Downs, 38. Fairgrounds is at a very high 47%. Um, and 50% uh, 50% exactus. So if you're playing fairgrounds with us and you're boxing the four picks and the exactus, you're hitting 50% of the time on the exactus on that. Uh, and, and first and second picks win at 47%. Now, what was interesting at Gulfstream Park, we're hitting about 33% and 43% exactus. That doesn't make sense to me. Our first and second picks are only winning around 33%. However, we're hitting 43% of our exactus. So we have the winner there somewhere. We just don't have it you know, on, as a high percentage of first and second. So what I wanted to co- correlate is correlate how our deltas, our first and second deltas fare in all the races. So I had my daughter uh, look at about 700 races over the last month. And, for example, at Aqueduct, the first and second deltas win 48% of the time. Win 48%? 48% of the time, the deltas. The top two figures win 48% of the races. Um, 
At Charlestown, 53%. At Delta, 52%. At Fairgrounds, 64%. The first two fastest horses of the last two races on in their past performances win 64% of the races at Fairgrounds. Laurel was 43. What I was really disappointed in, the first two Deltas at Gulfstream Park win only 30% of the races. What does that tell me? So it tells me that in our Deltas, the only track below 40% on Deltas, first and second top Deltas, is Gulfstream. So form does not hold itself. Current form does not work at Gulfstream. And that shows because not only do we have a 33% first and second picks, but it shows up in the exactus because we hit it 43%. So the correlation between the first and second deltas winning the races to our percentages of winners in our first and second winners, there's a direct correlation. And it tells me that a couple of these tracks, the current form means nothing. And I've switched my handicapping at Gulfstream to where I don't go with current form. I go more with connections, more with owners, more with jockeys, and a feel for what, who's coming into the race better than another one. I do not put a whole lot of stock on who the fastest horse in the race is. How, now, a different part of it was the algorithm we run um, for some of the races includes Golden Gate and Turfway Park. And our algorithm is basically a, a point system that is for all our handicapping factors. I decided to use point system for each of our handicapping factors. For example, for top deltas, first and second, four star works, three star works, um, uh, hot trainer, hot jockey, um, and things like that. So I have about 10 to 15 categories that we use. So what I found is the two synthetic tracks, Golden Gate and Turfway Park, are absolutely uh, far below anything else. At Turfway Park, at Golden Gate, it's um, we had uh, let's see, 12 out of 44 first and second uh, uh, top deltas winning, which is far below at 29 percent than any place else. But that 29% of the first and second deltas that win the races, it actually equals the percentage that the algorithm comes up with winners on the other side of it. So here's what, here's my, my whole idea with it, is by looking at those two synthetic tracks and seeing what the percentages for the deltas and the percentages of the, of the selections made by the algorithm tells me again, Current form is notwithstanding. Doesn't hold up. So I completely, I, for those tracks, that's the next step. For those tracks, I need to design a different algorithm that looks at those tracks from something other than top one and top two deltas. And we don't have a lot of workout information from there. That seems to be also not really a... Um, um, a factor. So I really got to dig, dig down deep and figure out what the factors are at Golden Gate and at Turfway Park. To me, those two synthetic tracks 
are a roll of the dice. They either handle it or they don't. You know, I could add to that. I've, yeah, I've been, I was going to go to you because I saw that look on your face. Go ahead, Jeff. I've, I've, been, I've been playing Golden Gate for probably 25 years now, and you're exactly right. Uh, current form doesn't last. There's a, lot of, there's a lot in the mix. When you get into your, your analysis, if you want to reach out to me, I'll give you some ideas that I have. Um, Jonathan Wong is a big deal there. Some of the jockeys, some of the trainers, uh, you know, I know, I know in detail a lot of the trainers and what they do. And so, yes, uh, when you said that the other day, the 29%, I thought, yep, that's my, that's my handicapping. That's what my handicapping tells me. And, and, right and now, the Gulfstream is the same way. Even though Gulfstream is not a synthetic, Gulfstream is the same. Because you, you, I, I, a lot of the times I'll have a decision to make between a horse coming uh, who's been training at Gulfstream Park and one that's been training at Gulfstream Park West, and I'll go with the one at Gulfstream Park West, and I'm going to be right more often than not. The horses at Gulfstream Park don't run. So, you know, they just don't, and, and they really fall apart from there. And I've seen that over and over again. Um, you know, and then, you, you know, of course, you have the Pletcher uh, factor, you know, you have, you know, Chad Brown's been quiet. You know, you get the, you got the Georgina Baxter, Kirk Zayati, um, you know, factor. So a lot of the times, you know, a, a track like Gulfstream, you really almost have to go by feel rather by numbers, uh, and even workouts. I've seen, I've been, I, I've been going to Palmetto's since the summer, uh, since the uh, winter of 2012. And I'm going to tell you, I've done it now, and this is going to be my ninth year or almost 10th year. And I can tell you, I can tell you a lot of horses that, that work great right over there and didn't run, just didn't run. And, you know, it fell apart going to the gate mentally. Um, so it, but there's other tracks like fairgrounds. Oakland, um, Brian Lazarica handles our Oakland. Uh, the first two days, he was nine for 18, first and second picks, 50%, first and second picks. He was on fire over there. So it, it makes it a really interesting day for, 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 for me to get away, even though I'm the one that does Gulfstream, I really want to play other, those other tracks. I also do the half of the fairgrounds. I do all the mains for fairgrounds. And um, because I need to stay on top of um, uh, I have to stay on top of all the maidens because those maidens are going to turn into allowance horses as we get back up here to Kentucky. I, I'm just finding that probably Oakland and Fairgrounds are going to be the more um, notable tracks that I think you can go to. Um, the good horses at, at Gulfstream Park, you know who they are. They stand out. All the rest of the all, all the rest of that card is, is really tough, and and it really depends on. I'll give you another example of a horse, uh, Tis My Time, that ran in the stake the other day. I watched her race. I said she's going to be probably one of the favorites, and I don't like her at all. And and they bet Cinnabonny down to six to five. I was like, okay, there goes my pick. I'm not playing that thing at six to five. And sure enough, she didn't, she ran horrible. Yeah. So there you go, your current form. Big effort, they don't run. And sometimes you have to get it into your head. You have to just continuously put it into your head. I am not picking a horse that, that's going to have short odds 
and form, current form, it, it looks great. That is the worst kind of bet at Gulfstream Park. So um, just like uh, Randy just did, throw something in the garbage. That's what I got to do with the current form over there. <laughs> so now I have to completely um, – and I do this for every track, and, 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 I, and I really tell you, you have, if you want to be better, I think you kind of need to do this too. You need to look at each track different. So many handicappers, and, and I've said this a million times, I'll say it again, because it sounds good and it makes it sound smart. People handicap like it's 1999, and they do that for every track. And you can't do that. You just have to really figure out in your mind and have a different hat on for every track. Jeff, you wouldn't handicap Golden Gate the way you handicap Santa Anita. Exactly correct. Exactly correct. And you certainly wouldn't exactly. do Aqueduct like you do Golden Gate. Exactly. But, and but and by I, the way, too, Golden that? Gate, what you, have, you have the COVID effect now at Golden Gate because I don't know if you all remember – they yeah. suspended racing for quite some time. The grooms had to leave. So there was, who was taking care of the horses? Jonathan Wong shipped half, probably half his stable, if not more, every which way. So it's, I'm not playing Golden Gate at all until it all kind of mellows out in about a couple but of weeks. I, I thought the information, you know, yeah, I thought it was really interesting um, coming up with some of the statistics that we came up with. Um, you know, for example, the, the algorithm at Parks does 43% first and second and 36% exactus. Um, at, at Sam Houston, with limited amount of racing, it was 30% and 30%. Tampa, who I've always felt is a really hard track in current form, same thing as Gulfstream. It's 32 and 28% exactus and 32%. Now, let's go to a different topic on this. Why is the current form not working? Because there's games being played. When you have smaller purses at a track like Gulfstream with all the top trainers there, you got starving trainers. The, 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 number, the, 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 the purses they run for at Gulfstream are pathetic with the kind of money they bring in. And you've got to, you know, and, and only a certain amount of train. And also, you've got trainers over there that grow like mushrooms. They pop up out of anywhere. And you're like, who's this guy? There's about eight Delgados. It's <laughs> uh, actually three. You know, I mean, you're just going like, okay, where are they from? I asked a friend of mine, is Zeus Lander a name came out last year? He won 43% of his races. But what was interesting, he had clients that, that were with trainers that, you know, were juicers. One of them run Navarro. And I look at the owner. I don't look at the trainer. And then I look at the trainer and go, okay. When Michael Dubb shows up with some of these trainers, you always got to give Michael Dubb a big, big chance. He wins at a high, high percentage. And he's got all these horses popping up out of anywhere. And he'll show up with a no-name trainer. And then you got a guy like like I said, Asus Landera. So I wrote a friend of mine. And I said, hey, uh, who's this kid? He says, oh, he came over. He had a small stable in Venezuela. 
He came over here. He's okay. He got in some trouble after he hit high percentages. Um, and, um, you know, and I think now he's kind of like lost all his main owners. And you got owners that go to people and they, and, and basically they're, they're ghost, they're program trainers because they're real trainers. Don't want to have their name on put on there. I heard, I heard, and this is totally alleged, allegedly uh, a total uh, myth that I heard that Navarro was out somewhere training horses and he had a go and he had a program trainer. So therefore, Jorge was, was a ghost trainer. Um, well, have you heard anything about that, Ron? No, uh, doesn't surprise me. I was waiting to, I was waiting to hear this for the first time. And so I just have. And the rumor was he had a kid that had been had worked for him at one time that was going to train out of classic mile where I have my horses with Rudy Del Judas. And I I'm sorry. I had a horse that was bred that I bred that he had. Uh, we didn't think anything of ran huge at Gulfstream first time out. Then the guy got busted. The horse turned up in Puerto Rico at this track. And probably training in Puerto Rico. And he's won twice. He just won a he he's won both times down there. He just won by eleven lengths down there. Who's the horse? Ah, uh, precise dancer. Okay. He he we he was by uh, Verrazano. We bred him at Denali. Everybody hated him. Thought he was the ugliest horse they'd ever seen. We sold him for five thousand dollars. He turns up with Navarro. And runs lights out first time in a big red maiden race in Gulfstream, and comes back at two to one. And I said he's not going to run, and he did. And then the whole stink came out, and the horse turned up in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I'm so. seeing it right now. Camarero one by eleven and a quarter at uh, two to five. This was on one, two, three. Just last week or something like that. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It was on Sunday. One, two, three, yeah, Sunday. So, and he won his uh, prior race down there. Two Sundays ago. Not, yeah, not yesterday, two days ago, but, you know. Um, trainer by name is Jose Velez. He's the guy that brings up a lot of horses up here from, um, from Puerto Rico for the Clásico del Caribe. But you'll, you'll get a lot of, you know, you'll get a lot of uh, ghost trainers at, at Gulfstream Park. They don't. We seen, but Bruno, we've seen beard trainers by name over year over the years for suspended not as, yeah but not as much as Gulfstream Park no that's my point yeah I mean it's, Tampa. this is Tampa is the other one mm -hmm. Tampa they'll come in from from a from a from a facility with no works and and you're like you know I used to have a friend of mine Frank Tate I don't know what he does he was a handicapper love Frank he always had this saying when he didn't recognize the trainer who's this clown you know and it was always kind of funny the way he did it and the way he said it. You know, one day when um, a trainer that ended up being pretty good, Tim Pimfield, was making his first start, and he's, we're doing a seminar at, at, um, at the old, um, uh, what was it, down at Del Mar. And he looks around and he goes, who's this Tim Pimfield clown? You know, <laughs> I've never heard of the guy, you know, and it was just funny, you know, the way he did it. 
And Tim Pinfield was a really nice kid. He was an assistant to Daryl Vienna. Did a lot of good work. And but um, Steve, you remember Frank, Steve Terrell, like you remember Frank Tate, don't you? Yeah, I think he's still down in Del Mar. Yeah, yeah. If you ever see him, tell him I said, hey, I got to give him a call. But Frank was a good handicapper. You know, we always argued about one other thing. We called them routers. He called them rooters, you know. And I said, you don't know. It's, it's routers. No, it's rooters. You know, <laughs> Frank was a lot of fun to hang out with and handicap because he could take things and, and have a laugh. Um, but um, it, it was just really interesting to me. Um how it, a lot of the times I just look at trainers at Gulfstream, just go, okay. And I just pay attention to the owner. Uh, the owner is the one that's going to be able to tell you a lot more when you're looking at it, if you realize who they are and what they are um, and, and go from there. So I thought the interesting part was correlating the Delta figures and their performance to the performance that we were doing and, and coming up with an understanding of what is happening. Um, I don't think anybody of the major figures uh, any, uh, uh, services will put out any stats like that and, and compare it to, to selection because number one, I don't know if they, I don't know if they'd want to do it, but I think it would tell a lot about their figures and it would tell a lot about the track that they're doing and how they're doing their figures and how it correlates to actually picking winners. I think that would be a, a very worthwhile study for them to do and go from there. I could do it with buyers. Uh, but again, I just find that, um, that for me, I'm able to zero in on each individual racetrack and, and, and have a working model for each individual racetrack when I go on handicap. Um, I hope I'm making sense, guys. No? Yes? Maybe? I got Kevin with both thumbs up. Absolutely. Paul looking at me through his glasses. You know? Where's Flatter? Did Flatter leave us? No, he's there. Oh, there he is. Yeah, uh, I've got my thumb up my... Good, never mind. Well, let's... So... We've gone for a couple of different things. What we've done is talked about the mental aspect of it, like David and I were discussing, is that don't get caught up in all the, all the chaos and all the noise. What you want to get caught up in is doing stuff to understand your own handicapping so you can take advantage of your strengths and your weaknesses. I wanted to find out what was going on at Hollywood Park. Excuse me, at Hollywood Park, at Gulfstream Park. Stop. I, I, I miss Hollywood Park, but, you know. Um, and I wanted to rectify a little bit. I want to just be able to tweak it enough to get it. We had, like, a really big day on Friday, and we had a decent day on Saturday. And I think we had uh, – I don't remember what we did on Sunday. I was wiped out. I but, know a 10-to-1 shot you hit. <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Ron. And that first uh, on Saturday. What's call. that? First race on Saturday, Gulfstream. Yeah, I love that. I caught that super. <laughs> nice. Hey, that made the day, right? That's exactly right. That made the day. You know, and and sometimes I'm sorry. I had four one all is exactly what I had. In the first race. You know, that was because of you. 
And also, you know, I'll tell you, I think I told you guys, watch Pletcher. If he wins early, he wins all day. The yeah. one horse that we loved was Winter's Back. I think we had nine, three to one, seven to two on him, and he got beat right on the wire. I mean, right on the wire by the 12. Um, but, um, I mean, I, one thing I've learned is that how to change my mentality on handicapping horses and playing horses by making, having little, you know, little thing, little nuggets like that. You know, that if he starts, if he, if he's got a big day, a lot of horses and he wins early, you can just bet him across, you know, every race. And you'll probably, you're probably going to make, make some money. And then they ran um, one, two on the turf. Yeah, one, two on the turf. He ended up winning that race with that horse where they blew the time on. Um, yeah, you know, about that. yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was in the 12 hole. I didn't think he'd get over and he did. Um, so, you know, he was live, but if you notice one thing, who there was a lot of couple of big time trainers were missing out of the uh, out of the Pegasus World Cup. No Chad in the turf and no Bob in the dirt. Right. Bob's one two of the dirt and Chad's Chad on turf. So and they weren't there, which to, which put to me Bruno spoke to the weakness of the turf field, which should have been like McFly take a look at the horse that's favored, even though he's never even been in a graded stakes. Oh, that speaks horse. more to that horse. A good horse. Right. It spoke more to the field than to the horse. Shame on me. Well, you had the 10 to one shot on Sunday. You made up. I, uh, yeah, believe me, I made up for, made up for a lot of lost football. Now, wagers but, but on the, Sunday he, too. Here's, here's the thing too, Ron. It's a great point you just brought up and you're still going back and saying, Oh, I should have had Colonel Neal. Oh, I, you know, I didn't pay attention. I didn't see it. You know, I didn't believe it. Why? Why do you feel you have to go back to that? I don't know that I really went back other than it just, it just, it just now came up. And I had to, you know, I was writing about it live for VSIN. And I was like, okay, well, favorite won the race. And I was trying to beat the favorite. So I, I don't regret trying to beat the favorite. But I did, but I think I did take out of context his position as a, a first-time graded stakes entrant versus the rest of the field when I thought, okay, how good could he be? My question should have been, how good was the field? But I did it in the context of writing the story, not so much losing bet because I didn't have that did, much on the race. I didn't do this because I got caught up in having to do all my stuff for Sunday. When that race came up, I flirted with the idea of taking uh, a $10 – trifecta box and three out of the five horses I was going to use were going to be the three Pletchers and they ran first, second and fourth. Fourth. Yeah. Right. Five, six, 12, 12, that, the, the other 12, the other 12 was Fletcher with the Baco. Social paran paranoia. Yeah. yeah. But I thought about that because as he's firing with everything, you know, um, and, and I would have been, that would have been just a, a last minute play just to throw in there, you know, and that could have made actually my entire day if I would have done it and, and it came in, I didn't do it. Um, I didn't do it, you know, cause a lot of the times when, like I said, you know, you got all this other noise you have to get rid of. And I had three other things going at one time. And, you know, there has to be a point where I got to take the boy out. I can't leave him in the house all day long. So I try to take my, my, I try to take my iPad down to the park down here. You know, we have a park uh, that's closed out 
where I can, you know, sit there and let him run around and have some fun. And I almost took my iPad down there and where I could gamble. And I thought, what kind of degenerate am I? You know, I had done it the earlier race. So, you know, I wasn't going to do it to it back to back, but. Bets um, on planes. I, I place bets at Soldier Field. Come on. I, come on. You can do this. I know. I know. But, uh, you know, but there's other things, too, I got to get done. And that's all the works for the next day. You got to get. You know, In the checkout line at Trader Joe's. I mean. What's that? Kevin? Kevin, you nailed it. Yeah. In the checkout line, watching and betting races in the checkout line at Trader Joe's. Post time waits for no one, B. You know that. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. I've, I'm totally with Kevin. I'm totally with you. Bruno, you're sitting there saying it's a degenerate thing. Look, the clock ticks no, for no, post time. No, I just, you know, it's like <laughs> I was just thinking the degenerate part. As far as, as far as betting in the Trader Joe's, I went to Trader Joe's. I go to Trader Joe's or I go to the store before the races start. So I make sure I have food, you know, and I can gamble. But I, I really like to sit down. I, Kevin, I'm, I'm very very much where I need to be able to relax and get my bets down and think about it. And, and, and cause I bet with one minute to go. Okay. I don't wait. I wait to the last possible time minute. I was going to bet on code of honor and I watched them going to the track and I'm gone now, you know, no, he, his, he, he had the most people in his, uh, in his saddling area. I was able to look and see over there. And the uh, show must have had 15 people in the in the saddling area, in the staging area when they waiting by their post, by their number there. Yeah. Yeah. You were there. You were there. Yeah. That day. yeah. I invited to take you. And, you know, I just it's just not my thing anymore. I mean, I've got some I got to You know, I got to deal with some I, I do a lot with a lot of customers during the days. People lose their file. People sign up for a package. You know, some guy didn't download it right. I mean, I, I spend pretty much uh, most of the day doing customer service stuff, you know, and I handle all that on my own. I, I handle that with all my customers. And I, and I think that's one part of it that, you know, you know, that, that, you know, we don't advertise that. But when people call me up and they say, hey, uh, you know, I need some help with this and I'm helping. He goes, who's this? I go, it's Bruno. He goes, no way. This is not Bruno. Yes, it is. I had a guy at 10 o'clock at night, couldn't, couldn't figure out how to download his, 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 he couldn't figure out how to download it. And I, and I had to, you know, and I had to call him and I said, what's the problem? You know, I had the number, you know, and I was kind of a little, I was a little, I was a little, I was a little PO'd about it because it's 1030 at night. And the guy's like, I don't see Gulfstream. I said, it's right there in front of you. And he, I don't see it. What he was doing, he was on a telephone. And on the telephone, on the ribbon at racingwithbruno.com, it only shows you one. You go left or right, not up and down. And he couldn't grasp the idea to go left and right on it exactly. So I, I walked him through it, and we ended up talking for half an hour. He's a great guy. He, he, he owns a, a golf site. And, and, and we ended up just chatting. We had a good time after I got over a little bit on my attitude. You guys know I got a little attitude sometimes. You like know what? Yeah, sometimes, right, George? <laughs> a little bit. Well, I hope you enjoyed that um, handicapping Zoom class that mm -hmm. we did. Um, and I really appreciate everybody that came on board. Uh, we, we've gotten a great crowd every Tuesdays, and we hope that uh, you join us next time. And, and, Ron, always, it's a pleasure to have you on. You're a great wingman um, in 
the spirit of the new Top Gun movie coming out soon with the current Maverick and Iceman, I could say that you're my goose to me being Maverick. Oh, wow. You're making me sound more formidable than I really am. Yeah, just make sure you pull the parachute right this time. Oh, damn. All right. Get more from Bruno by going to RacingWithBruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.